Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Chad. Hey, Luigi. And hey to everybody else. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Luigi. Should be a fun space. Hope everyone's doing well, despite craziness. <laughs> yeah, I hope you all are okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, everything's good over here. I don't think anyone has any kind of exposure to uh, <laughs> any of that craziness that, that's going on in uh, in uh, lands. Yeah, I had a tweet about that, how every project right now, everyone's asking about like treasuries and stuff. And I'm like, nobody even asked ThorChain, ThorSwap. Didn't see the question a single time. <laughs> Just uh, the ethos runs too deep in the ThorChain world. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's cool to meet you. I'm interested to, to learn a little bit more about like, uh, you know, other, you know, other DeFi projects on Avalanche and talk a little bit about, about ThorChain today. We keep it pretty casual and we also and like uh, we'll also let people from the audience just come up and ask questions. If so, if anyone requests and like has a question for Luigi or, or for us or uh, or whatever, like, you know, these, these are pretty open. So we, we try to let people up. And yeah, we'd like to talk about about DeFi, about about, you know, ThorChain in particular, but um you know we're 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 just students of of the space and like to uh just learn more about uh everything that that's going on here and also like share what we're building so also sorry that uh yeah yeah today today is a u.s holiday so if you need to dip out at, at any point and uh you know go, go do something else then uh no no problem but so we appreciate you you joining us too Yeah, of course. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, happy to be here and happy to have the discussion with the ThorChain community and, and talk about kind of whatever's on everybody's mind. I know that obviously the events of this week are, are fresh, but I'd love to go wherever you guys see fit. Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I get. I guess. What are you? So, like, what are your, What are some of your thoughts about just DeFi coming out of all of this? Because I mean, th- th- does that change the narrative at all for uh, for for DeFi versus like these these centralized areas? And then not just FTX, but all these like you know centralized like lending and borrowing programs and like it. You know, uh, it, I, like I, I think it just puts DeFi in a completely in a completely different light and just like kind of shows that what we're doing here is just a lot more transparent than these. Uh, and these centralized organizations. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think that's the big takeaway from all this, to be honest with you. You know, uh, a lot of what failed was really the the worst of TradFi and the worst of DeFi put together in a, you know, packaged box and, and effectively sold to people in a way that was, you know, sort of disingenuous. Um, But, but, you know, in terms of like TradFi, if you're going to have a centralized black box entity, it does need to be regulated. If you're going to have, uh, in terms of DeFi, if you're going to have a completely open and transparent um, uh, sort of financial uh, protocol, then, like I said, it needs to be open and transparent. And if it's centralized um, and not regulated, that's not good. If it's open, it doesn't need to be as regulated. At least that's how, that's my opinion. So. I think that this puts DeFi in a very interesting spot. Uh, the last bear market, I remember very well. Uh, there really wasn't much to do in crypto. Um, 
user experience is pretty poor. Uh, people were just trading crypto kitties. And, you know, now I think it's the opposite. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty delightful experience to do things on chain, uh, at least from my perspective. Can it get better? A hundred percent. Like, do we still have a long way to go? Yes. But, you know, being able to borrow and lend against your assets, swap them, bridge them, um, you know, do interesting options, trades, uh, trade perpetuals. You know, this is like a massive improvement from where we used to be. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that this is the catalyst for people to start swapping assets on chain more often rather than using something like FTX. Uh, and I tell people all the time, like, uh, you know, if you execute a trade on chain, all that really happens is there are uh, arbitrage bots that are taking that trade and arbing it on the centralized exchange. So um, the if, if, if liquidity, for example, gets deeper on chain, essentially also makes liquidity deeper on order books off chain, as long as there's arbs connected to those chain to those centralized exchanges. So, um, you know, we we now need to push. Uh, DeFi harder. We need to, um, you know, be more transparent. We need to, um, you know, also do our best to appeal to people who are not uh, as financially savvy, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that Celsius, FTX did well and, and sort of got more traction than something like DeFi because it felt very Web 2. And, you know, we want to find a way to bridge that gap of, having the non-custodial nature and transparency of DeFi, but, you know, not putting people through a maze to, to be able to use it. So those are like kind of my initial thoughts. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, it's just so unfortunate that this kind of puts a scar on crypto when the problem itself is, is really a TradFi problem. It's an old system problem. It's exactly what DeFi solves for with self-custody, with transparency on chain, all the things that get us excited. Um, th that last thing you were t touching on is exactly what I wanted to ask you. So how, like, how do you think about UI, UX in DeFi? Like, what's like, like what do you feel is like still missing? Even in just self custody too. I mean, that's kind of like the first phase of the problem, getting people off of stuff like FTX. But you know, like that's the exact same problem that like we think about all the time in in our space and just trying to really replace the centralized exchange as a whole. Um, and even what you touched on with like deepest liquidity and ARBs, you know, maybe there's a day where, where Thorchain kind of is that main reference point rather than a deep liquidity on a centralized exchange. That, that's kind of like the, the long-term uh, huge goal. But yeah, curious your, just your thoughts on like how, where does UI UX go from here to really make DeFi enticing enough to get those more regular users? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a challenging question. Um, I do think that it, it's it, the answer is twofold. Um, part of the issue is literally just getting people more educated on using a wallet, because I, I you know a lot of people just want to obfuscate away um, the non custodial part of, of of crypto, and you know I I think you can't really fully do that. Um, you know, so so we need to keep the core principles of why we're here, but we do need to find, uh, so, 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 so to kind of like, you know, just, just come full circle on that. Um, so we need to educate people more on how to use wallets. 
Uh, and then what we need to do is we do need to find ways for um, um, using crypto wallets to not be so, I guess, finite. You know, MPC is an interesting technology. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the best or not, but at a minimum, it does allow you to kind of share keys with people and have recovery and things like that. And that's important, right? So a lot of times I liken, you know, a crypto wallet to having cash in your wallet. So it's great because, you know, if you're anywhere, you can, you know, give somebody cash and buy something or, or whatever. Um, but you wouldn't be typically carrying around a million bucks in your wallet, in your back pocket. So being able to delineate, um, you know, the difference between uh, petty cash and, and, and being able to just do things very easily and also um, being able to um, uh, being able to have sort of like a bank account, which can be like a Gnosis safe or whatever, um, that allows you to store assets in a more non-custodial way that's safer and be able to access them. You do. I'm oh, sorry, it was cutting out a little bit towards the end there. Uh, interesting though. I, I'm curious, like expanding on that a little bit, um, what are some of the projects that are coming out of Avalanche right now that you're looking it's like in, in DeFi specifically that are you know trying to accomplish these things like be it uh, wallets, DEXs, uh, just just other DeFi you know protocols and platforms that are on Avalanche right uh, right now. Like what is it that that you're seeing uh, evolve? Yeah, I think uh, there's actually a lot going on in Avalanche DeFi. I'm pretty excited about so. Uh, some of it is is released and some of it is still uh, is, is close to being deployed and, and have been working on projects for a long time. So, um, you know, we have a native stable swap called Platypus, which is an interesting application. Uh, Trader Joe is one of the leading DEXs who will be launching uh, sort of like a version of Uniswap V3 uh, in terms of concentrated liquidity. They'll be launching that next week. Actually, it's going live. It's called Liquidity Book. Um, so that's really cool. There's custom strategies. Um, there is dynamic fees, which is different from Uniswap V3, so it does protect LPs a little bit more. And then there's also um, uh, the system's a little bit more flexible in, in terms of not using NFTs uh, in ter- uh, at, uh, as positions. So they use ERC um, 1155s, which is a little bit more composable. So excited to see that go live next week. Um, we have a bunch of different uh, native projects under development right now. Um, Delta Prime is like an under collateralized uh, lending platform, which is sort of similar, I guess, in some ways to uh, to Gearbox. Um, there, there's there's some nuances there, though. So that's a native team that's been building for a year. Uh, Stedify is building a really cool uh, automated vault strategy. Excited to see that. Same with BWS, which is cool. Um, we have uh, uh, a bunch of different applications like Cavalry. Um, which are under development that are really advanced AMMs and financial primitives. There's some uh, structured product apps like StructFi, which is building um, sort of like quasi-interest rate swap protocol. Um, so 
you know, we're really trying to push for the, I guess, sophistication of DeFi at this moment. We're trying to get, uh, you know, very savvy financial people to come build uh, DeFi primitives. And that's our focus because a lot of what DeFi is building uh, in terms of the finance component uh, need not really change that much. Um, it just needs to be transparent, open, and uh, and non-custodial. So uh, that's kind of a bunch of the stuff we're focused on and uh, that I'm very excited about. Awesome. Uh, and uh, like, I know you mentioned Trader Joe's. I, I didn't hear anything about uh, about Pangolin, but uh, you know, those are just two of the very interesting dexes that are on Avalanche that you know the Thorchain community has been working with the past couple of weeks on this concept of of dex aggregation. I don't know if you if you've like explored at all this this concept of dex aggregation, but uh, it's something that that Thorchain's been working on for for months now, and it's this concept of just chaining together swaps from these uh you know from from these liquidity pools on different interfaces so like obviously you have all this uh this avalanche on the c chain on on pangolin you have and you have all these other short tail uh, sorry these long tail assets on on things like trader joe uh and when, when you combine that with other dexes you make it really it makes it really interesting to be able to swap uh cross chain to these to these uh to these long tail assets that might not have liquidity on one dex, but you can chain together these, these trades and make it easy for, for a user. So like, w- like one of the things that uh, is already live with, with Pangolin on, uh, on ThorSwap right now with their dex aggregator is just chaining together these trades. So like training, uh, trading native Bitcoin, it goes through ThorChain and then it comes out on the, on the other end, uh, you know, into a, into a contract, it goes into, Pangolin, and they get to swap to whatever long tail asset. Yeah, um, Pangolin's another strong concept of dex Yeah. Oh, sorry, you got cut off a little bit. Sorry, I got it like a call. It was like really. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, hey, when Twitter spaces rugs whenever you get a phone call. Um, but yeah, Pangolin's a strong project, GMX, Yieldiac, all these other ones too. But in terms of like DEX aggregation, that's like kind of one cool thing I think about Avalanche. Um, we have really different types of DEXs too. So um, in the aggregator, you know, one thing that could be possible for something like, you know, door swap and, and DEX aggregation is we also have sort of interesting DEXs that are not the traditional Uniswap V2 ones. So, you know, Pangolin is, is similar to that in a lot of regards. Uh, Trader Joe's first version is uh, liquidity book will be different, but we also have things like uh, WooFi and uh, GMX and Platypus and et cetera. And, and for the user being able to route that trade to the best venue is incredibly valuable. So, um, you know, I think you mentioned native Bitcoin. One of the assets, you know, one of the cool things I, I, I like about uh, what we've been pushing is this native BTCB asset on avalanche which is uh, obviously bridged directly from bitcoin blockchain to avalanche so you know being able to kind of put all these pieces together and um and and use an aggregator i think is really important so so i i think it's really cool what you guys have done you know integrating into the ecosystem yeah i think it ties in well with your your last point just like all these other projects that are popping up and with dex aggregation like there's a direct path from native bitcoin or 
ETH, Atom, et cetera, everything else, like all the way directly into a complex avalanche new gen project, right? Like it's a really cool entry point where AVAX projects could target liquidity from outside of avalanche chain by using something like, like Dex aggregation. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what, what, what Cal was saying. Um, definitely Dex aggregation is something we've been super excited about. And it's really cool to see it live. Um, yeah, right now on ThorSwap, it's pulling liquidity from, uh, from just Pangolin, which is already giving like better routes for, uh, like actually saving, saving users, giving you better outputs, uh, on like stable coins and stuff like that. than even just using straight through ThorChain, which is really cool. Um, but then, yeah, in the next like week or two, it's going to do, uh, Trader Joe, at least the first version. I'm, I'm, I am curious about the liquidity book, uh, thing. I've, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if the team is looking into that. Uh, but that could be cool. Platypus as well. But, uh, yeah, Trader Joe and one inch are right around the corner as well. So it'll, you know, direct through the, the best output path for, for the user. Also brought up uh, Chad Barrett He's the uh, technical lead of Thorchain. So I just wanted to call that out. Hey, Chad. Good day, mate. <laughs> All right. He's not Australian or <laughs> English or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to have... Uh, uh... Uh, Luigi, it's good to have you here and in, in talking all things AVAX. We were very interested and very excited to get AVAX integrated into the Thorchain ecosystem and um, collaboratively, you know, benefit each other's projects and bring more liquidity to you and bring more liquidity to us in a sense. And so really happy to have you here and talking more things about AVAX. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, one thing that uh, in the future could be really interesting it's starting to bubble up now, but, you know, over time, I think will be important for something like ThorChain is the Avalanche subnets in particular. And I think, you know, one of the reasons you guys have focused, you know, on a lot of ecosystems, but also Cosmos is because there's an opportunity to connect chains. Um, you know, Avalanche subnets, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, is the way that Avalanche horizontally scales the network by growing into new chains um, and, uh, and, you know, it's a little different than Cosmos and there's a lot of different nuances that I don't think is, I don't think we have to go through right now, but um, I would say like, it's definitely an opportunity for something like ThorChain uh, to, to connect those in the future too. So um, just wanted to, to kind of put that out there. Yeah, we could do that uh, potentially into the future. The, the one kind of thing we have to be conscious, conscious of as we kind of expand is that um, unlike, you know, a Dex like Pangolin or any of the other ones where you, you have more or less unlimited security given to you. So you can, the amount of assets you can hold is just like, it's not bounded. You can have, you can have a trillion dollars theoretically and everything would be more or less, you know, from a secure perspective, be fine. But ThorChain doesn't have that kind of, that uh, nicety. It has to ensure that all the assets are secure relative to the bond that, that is being secured. So we have to think about we only have so much assets that we can actually hold in the network in terms of like dollar value. And we have to be very conscious about like, where do we want to put that security? Is it going to be to, to add more chains within the AVAX community, or is it going to be to add new chains or new ecosystems entirely? And that's going to be a debate that the community has to kind of uh, wrestle over and fight over for the coming years. That's a good point. Um, I do think that, um, and just uh, giving a little bit more insight. So, 
the subnet model is very flexible, meaning the amount of validators you can have on different subnets is completely customizable, variable, depending on the use case. So I do, I do envision a scenario where the C-chain, uh, in a lot of ways, retains a ton of the liquidity, but uh, the subnets in particular uh, are able to trade from their subnets and access that liquidity. So uh, you guys being integrated with the C-chain would allow you to, to have uh, access to all that liquidity regardless and, you know, could provide, you know, additional opportunities. So I don't, I don't think it's an either or anyways. If you wanted to move between one chain to another with an AVAX, like, is that supported? And what does, what does that look like? Yeah. So that's actually something that, um, you know, we're very excited about. So we've just released um, the BAMF upgrade, which allows for elastic subnets. Elastic subnets um, will allow you to effectively have permissionless validation of each subnet. You can pull any number of any any different variety of the one to fourteen hundred avalanche validators to come validate your subnet. Now, uh, what this allows in, in, in terms of the way we we designed and constructed it, it allows for trustless communication between uh, the subnets in particular. And, and, the re- and the way that that's going to occur is because all the validators are known to each other via the Avalanche P-chain, uh, there's a unique uh, sort of difference in architecture that allows uh, each subnet to communicate to each other via arbitrary messaging. Now, this isn't live right now, to be very clear and transparent. Uh, this is under development, and we hope to release it uh, sometime early next year, and that will allow for communication between subnets. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that's how they'll communicate. So effectively, if you're on subnet A and you want to communicate to the C chain, right? Let's say the liquidity is on the C chain and you want to swap it as a user via subnet A, uh, you can send arbitrary messages and, you know, sort of create a nice user experience on top if you so want to develop it. So with, with the, um, so is it going to kind of be a, let's, a bit similar to like the Stargate design implementation where there are no, similar not tokens? Pools. So there's, it won't be a pooling so, bridge, no. So, so these validators have, have to hold asset A on, on chain A and asset B on chain B. And then they move value between those two. How does that work? I'm not sure I understand. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, it's not like that. It's uh, it's much more similar to IBC. Um, there's some very different design choices, I think, and nuances to kind of how it's architected. But the end, the end, uh, the end game is effectively what IBC enables, where you go from one zone to another, um, and the validator store sort of every every you know uh state interaction yeah but the ibc implementation is uh creates wrapped assets from one chain to the other from the source to the target and then it relies on the validators of the target chain to not you know yolo and and take whatever value that has been given to them as validators to hold on to the the value of the other chain whatever the other asset from the source chain is so that's like the same here as well or that differently structured well i guess it depends on how you build on top of something like ibc right so 
if you if you have i mean i'm not the cosmos expert but for the avalanche in particular if you have the sea chain let's say there's you know uh, a pool on on uh, on pangolin uh with i don't know avox usdc pool or something like that and you're on subnet a and uh you have avox on subnet a yes uh you got it there via bridging via this subnet communication protocol but if you want to swap it you can swap it via that liquidity on c chain but you know sort of i guess obfuscate a lot of the user experience of bridging because you because it, liquidity is there right gotcha gotcha yeah yeah, I think Chad was just trying to get down to the bottom of whether it was being bridged or somehow like, you know, like how, how the value was actually being transferred from one chain to another. Because that's something that, you know, is is considered a lot in the, in the ThorChain space because, um, you know, we, we think about these like wrapped assets versus the, the native assets on, on the native chain. And it's like, you know, there, there's a large difference between having, you know, Bitcoin in a Bitcoin wallet versus, uh, you know, WBTC on uh you know in, in your ether wallet or you know so i, I think that's yeah just, yeah you know, that, think, that's part um, of the concern like I for this community especially with ibc is like you know that, that that transfer of value from like when you bring it from one chain to the other there's still the underlying but then there's also the iou on top of it so that's just kind of where that's coming from right because if, if things are there's always an iou secure there's always an iou yeah for here there's always yeah IAU. that's i think right Right. But if, if things are not economically secured, it means it's, it's secured by somebody who's just who's behaving altruistically in some sense or form. And sometimes that's much more like that. That somebody is much more diverse and much more decentralized in other cases. Like WBDC is obviously like a centralized co- company and same thing with BUSD, centralized yeah. company. But then there's other things like like IBC is probably one of the one of the better designs because in order to, to, to rug that situation, you have to like run the majority of the validators uh, majority of not even the validators majority of the capital that's running the validators in order to rug that system which is much better than like trusting cz or like some random you know uh handful of like some three or four exactly somewhere in the world so it's much better in that in, in that approach but still you have to rely on those individuals who are running those validators to not rug the, the system and, and walk away with a bunch of bunch of value that's right. I think that's that's the right way to put it. That is the risk. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, because on Avalanche, in order to validate a subnet, you must also validate the primary network. Um, there is a little bit more, I think, security there because the validators of the subnet are also rugging themselves in some way uh, if they <laughs> if they try to rug the C chain. So. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's similar to IBC, but with some different nuances. So, I think it's it's an improvement versus third, you know, a third party bridging solution that's out there. Um, but it's native to Avalanche protocol. To be clear, this isn't uh, something that's going from subnet A to Ethereum, for example. Right, 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 right. What about other uh, cross-chain interoperability solutions on on Avalanche? I'm, I'm like I know you guys have your own Bitcoin bridge, which has been doing spectacularly. By the way, I've been looking at the uh, at the amount of of Bitcoin that, that's um, that's been bridged over, and that's been growing like really nicely. Uh, what other kind of interoperability solutions are there in the Avalanche 
uh, ecosystem? And, and like also, like, how do you think, uh, you know, Dorchain plays into that being like a, a native asset exchange rather than like a, 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 a bridge of sorts? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, we, you know, we, we have, I guess, I guess we run the gamut in terms of all the, the cross uh, cross chain solutions that are out there in the market right now in terms of what's on Avalanche. Uh, so there's your usual suspects. Um, uh, there's like Layer Zero, Axelar. Um, I think there's Hop, Seller, all all these all these different solutions, uh, Synapse, etc. So they're all they're all deployed on Avalanche and they're connecting Avalanche to other chains as well. Um, you know, I think, and this is what I tell people all the time: is like the you know the bridging and uh, movement of assets across chains is a very new space because. I think a lot of people forget that first, the first real quote unquote cross chain interoperability that was happening at scale was like, I don't know, early 2021, Um, maybe a little bit, you know, maybe a little earlier than that, but like at scale, not like the first. So what was that one? You you, you cut off there for a second there. Can you say that again? I I missed it. Yeah. Say it again. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying that the first cross-chain um, sort of uh, uh, solutions that happened at scale were really early 2021. And so the space is still very new in terms of moving assets across chain. And I think that technology is only going to get better. And I think, you know, all these different projects are going to continue to iterate and improve. And, you know, I'm excited to kind of see that happen. Like DoorChain, for example, with its native um, its native asset movement is, is, is like unique in a lot of ways and, and very different than all the other projects out there. And I think that, you know, as, as you guys continue to iterate and that community continues to iterate on what you've built, it's only going to keep growing and only going to keep getting better. And I just like to remind people the L1 space, for example, from 2017 to now is massively different in terms of technology and, and, and possibilities. You know, and I think we'll see the same sort of uh, improvement in cross-chain interoperability as well. So it's just important to remember how young even going cross-chain is. Like people weren't doing that in 2018 in a, or 2017 in a big, big, big way. Well, I mean, they were doing it in a big way within the context of like centralized systems like Binance. Yeah, Binance, yeah, for sure. But in the context of, of deep decentralized systems, like, yes, that's relatively very new. Um, you know, even like before Thorchain launched its first, uh, you know, alpha, uh, Ren protocol ran their thing, but even Ren was like very centralized, like they ran all the nodes, all the infrastructure themselves, and so they had access to all the funds. Which for me, that just makes it a you know, just another another, another way of doing CFI. But yeah, today, like it's it's getting better. Uh, we still got a long way to go. I mean, I do, I still think that like a lot of people who are coming into the space and doing cross chain, like, are doing it in a very centralized way. And it's very, very, very few that's actually doing it like properly decentralized, properly secured, and that kind of thing. That we we don't see as much, unfortunately. I, I wish we'd see more of it. To be honest with you, It'd be healthier for the industry if we did. But it's because the problem to do it in a decentralized way is extremely complex and extremely difficult. Uh, it's not something you can just throw together in a month or two. Um, it's there's not as many people actually doing it. Even like in 
like layer zeros approach where you know they're basically the arbiters of, of everything like again let's all see another centralized approach of doing it and it's just not really actually accomplishing the goal of being a decentralized web move value across chain a to chain b uh, i would love to see more people do it though because that, that would just be great for the industry yeah i think i think uh i think we sort of see the same thing in the uh in, in the in the layer one space too there's a bunch of layer ones some more centralized than others some just forced to be on you know based on technology right like their consensus protocols for example just can't scale past something like 100 nodes so you know and that from that perspective there is entities there so uh i just think you know that this, this space is going to grow you know there's going to be the winners there's going to be the losers and you know i think maintaining a focus on decentralization while not compromising on ux is going to be incredibly important for cross-chain interoperability for chains for DeFi, uh for this space to grow like we cannot deliver an inferior product and just say it's decentralized in my opinion like that alone that'll only keep the space a niche Yeah, we need to deliver the products that people are actually going to use and find useful, but then also have that those elements of decentralization that make them capture resistant, censorship resistant. Uh, you know, th th those are the principles why people get into this space, but people want, also want good, good UX. Uh, I, I think one of the, the problems, one, one of the bigger issues in uh, the cross-chain space, at least from the, the ThorChain angle of this, is uh, managing multiple wallets on multiple chains and connecting them to, to, to one site to do swaps and things like that. Like that, that is a, a space which is so, so underexplored right now. It, uh, just managing multiple wallets across blockchains. And there's a lot of people that are, that are working on that, uh, on those solutions, but it's just not something where, where the UX is like up to, uh, you know, e even like an advanced crypto user will, run into run into, run into issues i'm sure every, a lot of people here have run into issues just using uh using wallets on 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 interfaces just because it, it's it's complex especially when dealing with uh dealing with multiple multiple chains that all communicate differently uh you know it's just just one of those those areas to really like button up the the user experience end of things and like like where where the product is already good, but it's just like is that little the, the couple little tweaks uh, can just make the UX so much better and you know bring more adoption and usability to the to the products themselves. Yeah, agreed. I think that's one of like the main holdups, and makes me curious. You know, like with uh, BTCB on on Avalanche. Um, one, can you maybe explain just like just kind of for the Thorchain people that are so used to native assets, like how that operates? And then also, like, do you feel that if the UX problem that Cal was just describing was solved, that like the Avalanche community cares about native Bitcoin? You know, like, would they like is that is that difference understood uh, between using BTCB on on DEXs and, and whatnot in the Avalanche world versus just like being able to have a multi chain wallet and like come from native BTC? You know, that's a very good question. Um, I think, I think, I think they would, I think some would care, but I think what, what you know, <laughs> if anything, the last week and, and the last months have showed us is that most people didn't care, frankly. And that's, that's quite obvious over, you know, uh, most of the users didn't care. Like if, 
if you were okay to get paid in your CEL token on Celsius, you know, uh, and keeping your money in there, like, I don't, I don't think you, you know, you really, or you didn't know. And I don't know what the difference is to delineate at the moment, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that that for sure is part of the issue. And that's why I always say like, we need to deliver decentralized products that are better products too, because I don't think that the majority of people in the world are going to, you know, look this deep, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think that that's our calling in terms of BTCB, uh, you know, that, that is a, uh, you know, the avalanche bridge, for example, which is the one that bootstrapped the avalanche ecosystem, right? It was, it was uh, deployed originally to Ethereum still is and that allowed for uh, certain assets to move over, um, you know, like ETH, for example. Uh, and one of those assets was, uh, wrap Bitcoin. And, um, and, you know, we, instead we deployed the bridge to Bitcoin directly, which, uh, sort of removed one of the central points of, of, I guess, uh, um, centralization in terms of wrap Bitcoin. So now you can, uh, there's a few, there's a few things I think it does quite nice. Um, one, you can have a Bitcoin wallet and move your Bitcoin to Avalanche, uh, you know, bridge it to Avalanche directly, which is nice. Um, it does remove sort of the piece that wrap Bitcoin has uh, or some of them. Uh, so it's not a KYC custodial product. Um, it doesn't require merchants to redeem um, and create the asset. So if you, for example, uh, need to redeem your BCB to Bitcoin, uh, you can just bridge it back. It's in a manner that doesn't require any KYC or people to go to some vault and get private keys, et cetera. Um, so from that perspective, it, you know, I think it, I think it solves some of the issues that wrap Bitcoin has, um, you know, but it still is a bridge uh, to be very clear. Um, so, so there, there are risks, you know, uh, a lot of times I say to people when you drive on like the Verrazano or a bridge, you know, I get a little woozy no matter what. <laughs> and I, I, I sort of feel the same way when you use crypto, um, but but things like native asset bridging and and, and kind of what, what Thorchain is is undertaking, hopefully can bring us to a much better um, you know much better outcome. Yeah, I think one of the the visions that I have personally for like DeFi in general is the hope that we can start thinking about DeFi as a chain agnostic. Uh, system like if we've kind of grown up thus far with DeFi being associated and built upon a particular ecosystem, whether that be AVAX or Ethereum or or what have you, we build tools for that particular ecosystem. But then we want to service assets that are external to that system. So then we build bridges and wrapped assets and all these other kind of things, which is just increases risk and increases like uh, potential issues. But rather building DeFi that is that is. It's not associated with any particular ecosystem that this works the same, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's AVAX, whether it's this, whether it's that. And it just structurally puts the this DeFi protocol in a way that is fundamentally available to effectively any any asset without taking on additional risk of 
um, wrapped or, or like this kind of stuff or like bridges, which are like for me, bridges are very problematic in general just because they, they take on both the CFI risk because they are like centrally managed by some degree. And they also take on the DeFi risk of being some sort of exploits in their contracts or exploits in their code that could be that could drain the entire system. And in many bridges, we've seen CFI things happen where like that dev from, um, I think it was Ronan, I think it was, he had like got all of his keys stolen through like a, a malicious PDF file that was emailed to him. Like that's a CFI risk. And then we also see in like Wormhole's case where that was a DeFi risk. We see we, you compound these two risks on top of each other just because we're trying to make DeFi work within a particular ecosystem for whatever reason, I'm not really quite sure why, rather than going and saying, let's just build it in a way that's chain agnostic to begin with. And then we don't have to do bridging. We don't have to take on any CFI risk. We don't take on any unnecessary risk other than the protocol itself risk. Uh, to me, that's like structurally a better way for us to be building DeFi into the future. That's what I hope people do more in the future. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, you know, I think that we have a long way to, I do think we have a long way to go there, um, you know, to be able to handle things at scale. But, you know, I, I mean, real, you know, like billions and billions and billions of dollars at scale, which is a huge, uh, which is a huge, like, I guess, responsibility. And, you know, to all the builders in this space, they they have this, like, sort of dual risk of, you know, building things, you know, that need to get product market fit while not compromising on those things. And, you know, I think it's going to be, it's always going to be a balance. And it'll be interesting to see which product went out. You know, we are, at the end of the day, in L1. That's our focus. So we're trying to build uh, a layer one that is the most, uh, decentralized, uh, you know, uh, network that allows for scale. So we're always balancing that as well. And I think one of the core tenets of Avalanche is like the consensus protocol that was developed by Emin and, and, and the team there at Cornell was really all about an algorithm that allowed for more and more and more and more nodes to come without sacrificing on the time to finality of the chain. And, you know, from a technical perspective, that that's real like innovation. And if we can continue to bring those types of things across all different aspects of the space, DeFi, cross you know, interoperability, et cetera, then, you know, this space is, you know, has a really bright future. Would you speak a little bit to the, uh, the, the decentralization of, of Avalanche and just like, like I guess sort of like the general overarching structure of it because I'm sure there, there's people here who don't uh, completely understand the difference between like the, the, the P chain and the C chain but also just like the, the validator structure of, of Avalanche and, and uh, uh, how that ties into the, its decentralization sure yeah I'm happy to um, so Avalanche is you know you can call it a number of things uh, you know I like to think of it like sort of in a lot of ways as like a, a network of networks or an umbrella network um, we have the primary network, which uh, you can also call the primary subnet. You can use those two words interchangeably. So the primary network consists of the C, X, and P chain. The P chain is there to store the state of validation across uh, the primary network and all the subnets. The X chain uh, is a, a DAG-based chain, UTXO-based. And the C chain is the one that most people have interacted with. That's the EVM based chain um, that, you know, chair Joe Pangolin, et cetera, are deployed on. So that's the primary network. Um, 
And then Avalanche has this notion of subnets. So subnets, as I mentioned, are really at the very most primitive level, any uh, subset of the validators on the primary network that want to go and validate something. Now, that thing can be one chain or multiple chains. So a subnet can consist of multiple chains, which is interesting. Um, so let's say like, you know, of the 1400 validators on the primary network, uh, you know, 500 want to go validate subnet A and 200 want to go validate subnet B and five want to validate subnet C in some permission network for like, I don't know, some supply chain thing for a private company. They could do that too. So it's, it's very um, sort of, it, it allows for a lot of different use cases. And, you know, I think the system was designed in a manner that, you know, we don't want to sort of infringe upon what people can build. We want to allow people to build what they want to build. And what's, what's also unique about Avalanche in a lot of ways is that the subnets, uh, they're VM agnostic. So uh, a subnet doesn't have to be uh, an EVM-based chain like uh, Ethereum or Avalanche C-Chain. It could be a custom VM, meaning you wrote it from scratch, uh, which is cool because you could write the VM to be tailored for your specific use case. Or it could be um, uh, it could be something like a, a Rust-based VM. So we just deployed our Rust SDK this week that allows people to build Rust-based EVM, you know, VMs on Avalanche subnets, which is really cool. So you can have a WASM-based, uh, et cetera. So uh, the protocol is very low level. It allows for customization, allows people to build what they want to build. They can deploy permission chains if they want, if they're a company uh, and they have restrictions from regulation, or they can deploy permissionless chains. So if you want to deploy, I don't know, something like a move-based VM subnet, you can, and you can, you know, it is effectively its own layer one. And you can, you know, um, sort of invite people to, to, to deploy DeFi or NFTs and stuff like that there too. So this really is like, I think, uh, a very sophisticated architecture. It, it's very uh, low level. It allows for customization. It allows people to build what they want to build. It doesn't infringe upon or define what the future will be. It, you know, simply is flexible enough can, um, you know, build different things there. So, yeah, that's uh, the, the only other thing is that they're all bound by the avalanche consensus, those subnets and the primary network, which is really cool um, because we, you know, we, we, we do think that that was a, a core innovation in terms of allowing more and more uh, nodes to validate the network without sacrificing on, on speed and scalability. So I'm curious, like um, that design to me, it sounds like a shared, a shared security model that kind of, it's a lot of similarities with uh, Cosmos's new thing that they've been kind of talking about or pushing about having like um, validators of other chains to validate your chain. And so like, it's not so much a smart contract and not so much an app specific chain. It's like somewhere in the middle of those two things where it's like you build your own layer one, but the security is coming from another layer one of some kind or form. Like how do you, how are you familiar with that system? Like I'm curious to get your, your stance or your viewpoint on it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a great point. So shared security is a very loaded term, depending on what communities you're talking to. So especially if you're talking to like L2 and ETH communities, that that means something to them, means something to Cosmos community, means something to us different, which is sort of a bigger issue in this industry in terms of terminologies meaning different things. But 
from our perspective, like I said before, the requirement to validate a subnet is that uh, if you want to be a validator of subnet A, you must validate the primary network. That is a hard stop requirement. Um, and so Cosmos, from my understanding and reading sort of what they've been pivoting to in this, in this new release, is, is that it, it moves closer to that model. Uh, that, that we have and, and it was previously completely isolated where any zone can have any validator etc but I think that there's there there is some real value gained in terms of knowing who the validators are and um, you know it is still permissionless in the sense that any validator can validate any subnet with the requirement that you also validate the primary network and um, and I think that that does provide some really unique things in terms of what, what can be done on the primary network and the C chain uh, and the liquidity that that begets. But it's only really possible, in, in, in our opinion, to do this model, this sort of uh, you know, uh, model where, where validators effectively grow on the primary network with, uh, linearly with the amount of subnets if you have a consensus that can handle it, right? So... You know, Cosmos uses Tendermint, which is classical consensus, which can only scale to like 150 nodes. So they wouldn't, they really can't, they really can't use this model that we have uh, exactly because, you know, their quote unquote, let's call it, if it was a primary network, wouldn't be able to scale past 150 nodes. Um, and, and that's not really, I think, a disputed fact. Um, like I think they would they would agree with that, so that's why they have like a different a little bit of different nuances. Are you familiar with a, a project called Pocket Network? I have heard of it. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to comment on any of the technicals of it to be honest. Uh, I was going to say like that. Um, I met the guy behind it once. It had a good conversation with him, and one thing he said, <laughs> which I was surprised about this, but maybe you'd be surprised as well. But that he actually he had forked the cosmos tendermint kind of system and he made a bunch of changes and edits to it. And he got his own network to scale to like 20 or 30,000 validators according to what he was telling me. And so I don't know how he accomplished that. I just thought it was fascinating. I don't know how, what he did to do to accomplish that, what, what trade-off was made or, or what, but it was, it was kind of a, a fascinating thing. But I do, I do agree that I think cosmos, you can't really get much higher than like 150 or, or, or 250. Maybe, if you make the block times um, larger, like longer block yeah. times, instead of like a few seconds, make it a you know thirty seconds or a minute, you can probably get larger. But uh, yeah, well, you'll have to sacrifice uh, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you always have to sacrifice something. Like this is a technology; you never like get everything for free. That's just not. I know we like to believe that sometimes. Uh, everybody likes to say that they they broke the trilemma or whatever, and you know, but. Reality is that's, that's, not, that's never the case. You always have you always have to deal with physics, and physics limits you to what you can and cannot do. And it was, there's always going to be trade offs for sure. For sure, there's always trade offs. Um, uh, you know, I just think that sometimes, you know, in a lot of ways, in all major, I guess, innovations that come across uh, the world, it's usually when you look at something from a different lens that that innovation occurs. So if you keep trying to just like, let's say you take Tendermint and you keep trying to optimize for just pure metal and speed and, you know, optimizations of that algorithm, you know, yeah, you're, it's physics. Like there's only so much you could do. But if you, you know, take a step back and take a completely different approach, which is like the sub-sampling method that Avalanche Consensus uh, sort of has, you can 
have something totally different. So, you know, when we go from a thousand, a hundred to a, every transaction with sub-second finality. So, you know, like it's just different, totally different thing. Just like Nakamoto consensus and classical consensus are completely different too. Uh, Nakamoto consensus is much slower uh, than right. than classical consensus, right? But it's also much more <laughs> secure. Right. You trade. You're trading off that um, decentralization for for something that's higher performance. I got. I uh, I recently saw an interview with um, with uh, uh, what's his name, the guy from behind Solana. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Anatoly. 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 Yes, Anatoly. I I I heard him say something that I was a little bit shocked about. I don't know if you've heard him say it before, or you under. Not, he didn't actually like explain why. I would, would have loved to heard him explain why. But I, I mean curious if you've heard him say this or you understand and maybe you can uh explain to some degree but like not that you're on the hook for anatoly's comments of course but like he was saying that like the completely wrong way of solving scalability of, of blockchains is through shards now that's a very that's a very bold statement and one that doesn't immediately make much sense to me why he would say such a thing have you heard arguments against uh shards and why shards can't work or won't work or whatever uh yeah um, I think they're so well <laughs> to in a lot of ways uh, terminology in this space. So sharding is really mm-hmm. when most when most people talk about sharding in crypto, they're really talking about the way Ethereum originally was thinking about it. Um, you know, I don't know if whoever remembers, but that was that was the Ethereum roadmap sharding. That was what that was how we were, they were going to scale and. You know, that, that just didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is it's really fucking hard uh, to shard a blockchain without, um, you know, sort of <laughs> losing a lot of of, uh, of kind of what you have. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I want to be careful with my words. Um, in a lot of ways, but you know, I would say that sharding is in 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 the sense that most people think of it in terms of crypto, very hard to achieve. Um, you know, without sacrificing a lot, and I think that's been at least proven by the fact that you know, and uh, and there hasn't been much traction made there in terms of sharding. Yeah, for sure. It, for sure, it's, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, and I, and I think, I mean, I I associate and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I associate the AVEX, AVEX to be sharding as part of their as part of their kind of like way of scaling of like creating subnets and, and subchains and and this kind of so, breaking things into smaller pieces. Or, or do you not agree that you, you can think you can think of it that way, um, you know, like just conceptually, but in the way that like true sharding works, where you take the chain. And it's one chain, you split it up into multiple pieces, and it all comes back together as one piece. Like, that's not really how a subnet works. Subnet is really like split a bunch of different executable environments, but you don't like subnet A doesn't share all the security of the speech. You know, that, that's not how it works. Um, because you could have, a, like I said, you could have a 20 validator subnet um, if, they, if, if they so choose. Or you could have a fourteen hundred validator subnet. 
if they so choose. So from that perspective, uh, it's, it, it's very different than like the the originally envisioned sharding. So who who would you say is is doing sharding in, in the space? Then would you say Ethereum's doing it, or would you say that some other product maybe? Like who would you say is like the product going for sharding right now? Just uh, nobody. <laughs> I don't think anybody. Nobody is doing it. I know. I know. No, no, not that I know of. I know Near has been working on some dynamic sharding, they call it, but from my last checks, there wasn't a ton of progress there. I'm not sure if they've gone further, yeah. but that's not really something that, like, true sharding, the way it was originally envisioned, nobody is really uh, taking yeah, the ball yeah. there. I think everybody kind of realized it's just too hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know there's a lot of projects who, who say they're working on sharding, and they'll use the term. But it's interesting to hear your viewpoint and, and have a very different like definition of the term according, which where you're coming from makes sense too. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that or not, of course, but like, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting to, to hear your perspective and how you look at things. Yeah. I mean, I look, it's, this is a, this is a very interesting space. There's a lot of different perspectives. I don't, you know, I don't think I know everything by any means. And I'm just kind of been around for a long time and have heard a lot of different things and, try to learn as much as I can, but ultimately, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun place to be. I, I was telling the team this week, you can't say like, it's not entertaining. That's for sure. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I do have to, I do have to drop it a little bit. Cause, uh, I, I forgot that oh, today yeah. is, uh, yeah, I, I forgot that today is a holiday and, uh, and my kids are home from school. It's all right. And, um, drop they're knocking on the door. Definitely appreciate you coming on and, and kind of like giving your viewpoints and, and information about AVAX and all these things. Like it's really helpful to learn more about it. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. I'd also love to hear a little bit more about kind of what you guys got going on and, you know, before I do drop and, and what else we can, you know, potentially do together. Well, the big thing we got going on right now, which is, about to happen probably in the next few hours or 24 hours or so is we're launching a new feature we call favors uh and it's, it's a little bit comedic timing too because uh it, the savers feature is, is kind of conceptually similar to like how BlockFi would give you interest accounts like you could put into bitcoin earn some more bitcoin and it's, it's, it's like it's that straightforward and simple you don't take on exposure to any other assets or any of these other things you just earn bitcoin and, and earn more and make more bitcoin right or earn ether whatever asset you kind of choose to throw into the network. And uh, it's a, at a time when like all those, when CFI basically owned that idea of like earning BDC on your BDC, and there was no decentralized way, way to earn, um, you know, in that same kind of way. When they're all kind of collapsing, BlockFi is now collapsing a second time, I guess, because of FTX. This network is launching this new feature where anybody can deploy, you know, um, a layer one asset like AVAX, for example, and then earn more AVAX on your AVAX, like straight up, like kind of like it's a little bit like staking in, in some sense of like what it kind of feels like, right? From a user perspective, obviously it's structured very differently than staking, but like it, way it kind of feels like that way. And so, so anybody in the AVAX community can, can, can come to the network and just deploy some AVAX without taking buying rune or taking on price exposure to that and just like earn more AVAX straight up. So the, the other part of like the, the other end of things, like those are great new features that are coming to ThorChain. And, but the other thing that, that ThorChain is doing 
is a lot of, uh, you know, BD type things getting into uh, getting into wallets. Because at the end of the day, Thorchain is this neutral infrastructure. It's its own app chain that validates transactions on all these other blockchains, including AVAX C chain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance chain. And it just, just swaps the assets, nat- native assets right in the wallet, right? So that, that's an amazing use case and uh, for for wallets to integrate Thorchain. So that's like something that's being pushed on a lot. A lot of big wallets are, have been integrating Thorchain and, and are in the process uh, just because the, uh, the, the, the product is there. Users want to have access to these decentralized swaps and still maintain self-custody and own native assets. So uh, we're just acting as the rails for those uh, for those transactions that people can make in wallet swaps from from one to another. So like, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on on both sides of things, on both like the, the product side, you know, and, and like the, the savings vaults, you know, earn BTC under BTC or ETH under ETH or AVEX or AVEX. Uh, and then there's the, 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 like the other things that are being worked on, like like order books and lending and borrowing and things. And then there's the, uh, the integration side, which is just getting into these other products like uh, Dex aggregation, which we already touched on before, just just a little bit, uh, you know, with, with Trader Joe and and Pangolin, and then uh, the, just getting into the wallets and and being being those neutral rails, being the the decentralized change lead, change now uh, Binance. That's that's the the future of uh, of Thorchain itself. Amazing, yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to really following all the developments um you know and i, I want to really say how much i appreciate you guys bringing me on today um you know i'm really sorry for having to cut out early um but i really enjoyed the conversation for the last hour or so and you know hopefully you know my dms are open people couldn't always find me on twitter and i'm happy to kind of engage with this community and hopefully work together you know uh, as much as possible i really I, I like the ethos and and you know uh, I've, I've been following following Thorchain for a while, so really appreciate you guys having me on. For sure, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, the, the the Nine Realms team will will definitely be in touch. Uh, you know, the Thorchain team will definitely be in touch. Uh, you know, we love what you guys are doing too. And you know, it's just two bastions of decentralization here. And I think you know, kind of the future of where the space is going. So thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks guys. Have a good one. Have a great weekend. You too. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we could also, you know, stay up for just a little bit longer if, if people want to come up and, you know, just comment on anything that's happened this week. Is honestly just like because we didn't even talk about really anything uh, it's, that's it's happened too, besides this. It's too bad this week has been very boring. Like nothing happened this week at all. Yeah, really nothing, nothing at all to comment on that I can think of. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Loki's in those. Uh, in, he's in BlockFi. He's at FTX. He's at. Uh... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's kind of it's crazy. It's like we've been we've been saying we've been illustrating how like Thorchain is kind of like quote unquote like going down the list, like taking these products that CFI had and and bringing them back to the crypto sphere. Um, what I don't think was in the plans was all of them going out of business for us to get there. <laughs> <laughs> The timing is ridiculous, isn't it? Like all these things are that are CFI dominated services, like Savers, what Savers does, and like all of a sudden, like they all collapse. 
not all of them, but a lot of them. And, you know, ThorChains is launching now, which is just going to be full transparency of the entire system from head to toe. No, no person risk, right? There's no human risk to that network. Yeah, Chad, let's talk about the launch a little bit. So th- there was a release at the new Thornode uh, version that was just released last night, which yeah. I am doubting it's been adopted yet, although I didn't check. Uh, so I, I, is, is that just the last thing that we're waiting on, this, this Thornode adoption, and then uh, we, we turn it on next week or so? Yeah, right now, um, 17, let me see, uh, 16 of the nodes have not adopted the new version as of now. And so we're waiting for those last 16 to adopt. And as soon as they do, um, um, Pluto, you're welcome to disagree with me if I say something wrong here, but um, that we'll flip the switch, turn on savers, and away we go. So it could be as soon as like tonight or something potentially. Yeah, it just however long it takes these last 16 people to, to do it, or actually technically, if you want to get technical about it, you actually only need 15 of the 16 because the network is going to churn in 11 hours and nine minutes. And so if 15 do it and the last 16th guy does not, then he gets selected to get churned out of the network. So full 16 or 15 in 11 hours, I guess, if you want to get technical about it. Highly specific. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited because it's going to be great. Because like We're going to launch this thing and hopefully it'll be real smooth. Um, we'll hit the caps, the synth caps, uh, over the next like, week or two. I'm, I'm hoping. I, who knows? Like, I don't really know. I'm making, I'm making wild allegations at this point. But like, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that that will happen. Um, and then once it does, then we have to start like making choices as a, as a, as a community to start increasing the caps. And then eventually, once we get to fifty uh, percent utilization, uh, we can start flipping on the, the POL to take on take us the rest of the way. Do you know, like, off the top of your head, I don't know, this might be a lot of math, but, like, roughly how much liquidity that would be from the current state to maxing out the 30%, the current caps? Do, do we know, like, roughly what that is? Uh, I can figure it out for you. Uh, just give me a second. I'll do a little, little bit of math. Yeah, I'm just curious. If, if it takes too long, you, don't bother. I'm just looking for a ballpark. Yeah, we're at right now, we're at 3.74%. In the Bitcoin pool, so that's about that's about you know let's just call it like eleven percent to go, right? Eleven percent of uh, the Bitcoin pool is what six hundred and nineteen BTC, and right now it's six hundred something. So let's call it twelve hundred in value. I think I'm doing this like on the top of my head, so it could be wildly wrong. I'm pretty sure we're gonna hit the um, security hard cap before we hit the synth utilization cap. That's possible. Yeah. I think the synth cap for Bitcoin is 132 BDC, I think. Or maybe half that. I'm not quite sure. I have to spend more time thinking about it. But we could hit the uh, the, um, the 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 pool cap, as Pluto was just saying. But at the same time, like um, we have right now um, two, four, six, eight, ten validators that are not churned into the network. So it's like we're at 90 validators right now. We have another 100 that are willing to, to jump in. Each of them with looks like the lowest person is like 532,000 rune. The highest is 950. So it's like a, and most of it's like over 700. Vast majority is over 700,000 uh, rune. So we get those people churned in over the next, you know, a few weeks, whatever. It's obviously going to add more, more space and, 
and more um, BDC and savers can can get, can load up in a sense. So it'd be interesting to see what happens for sure. And uh, ThorSwap's interface is about ready, I assume. I, I saw you posted a screenshot yesterday, Chad, of the uh, savers interface. Yeah, I posted a teaser. It's uh, on my on my Twitter if people want to see. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I think it's pretty much ready to go. Um, I think the only thing that was not shown in that screenshot was just like the the final APR calculations. Um, I'm assuming everything will be pretty much ready to launch, though. I, as far as I know, uh, once once this new version update is is adopted. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I'm, I think ThorSwap's good to go. And yeah, the interface is really, really nice and simple. I mean, uh, we're going to do a bunch of guides and tutorials and all of that, but I've seen people asking, you know, like, how am I going to be able to do it? Can I do it with a ledger? And it's really, it's going to be the most simple thing you've ever done in the ThorChain uh, ecosystem. I mean, it literally is just connect a wallet, enter an amount, click deposit it, sign the transaction. That's it. <laughs> and then just same process to, to withdraw when, when you want to. And there, you know, the metrics are all really simple too. I mean, all it's really going to have to show you is what did you deposit? How much have you earned? What's your total amount to withdraw? Um, one thing I left out there is like it'll show you the um, the the fee. Uh, Pluto posted an example too of kind of showing the the behind the scenes yesterday. And like for example, if you're putting in one BTC, you're at, there, there's uh, slippage happening because of the the swaps that are going on in the background. So that one BTC ends up being you know 0.996 or whatever um so all of that will be like pre-calculated in the interface for you for knowing exactly what you're gonna have deposited and what you're able to withdraw and all of that so yeah really really dead simple i remember like early in the conversation uh kyle was asking that um luigi about like what he thinks about DeFi and the, and the ui ux which is an interesting conversation but like what you're talking about right now like thoreau is like to me this is the future of DeFi. Like this is the like this when you want a very clean and simple UI, UX, all these kind of things, like what you're talking about for the savers, you know, uh feature is gonna be like so like that's gonna be like the, the standard in some sense. Just because it's so clean, it's so simple. There's not much cognitive thing that you have to understand. You can just say, Oh, okay. I just hit the button and I and I spit some BDC and I get more. Okay, cool. That's like it's such a clean thing. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and it's also like what you were saying about just the vision for chain agnostic DeFi, right? And um, the way I kind of imagine that in my head, and I'm curious if, if if what I'll illustrate is how you're thinking about it, is like, you know, say you have this epic uh, yield generating protocol on on Avalanche, right? And you could basically have an interface similar to that to that one I just put, the one that's pinned up at the top, but it would be just deposit BTC, but then it goes through, it goes, swaps BTC to AVAX, goes through the aggregator, gets into this token derivative, whatever, into this contract. And then you're, you've just simply deposited BTC, but you're getting exposure to, you know, some complex avalanche, you know, new wave, DeFi 4.0 <laughs> in the future, whatever it is, um, um, product. And, it, so th that's kind of the vision for for real chain agnostic DeFi, right? It's like you don't have to know that that protocol is even on Avalanche. You just can show up with your Bitcoin or your Atom or your Doge or or whatever, right? Right, right. That's the way it should be. That's the way the rest of the world works. And we we don't just because of early technical limitations on how blockchains can inter be interoperable and work together and. That was just a very difficult problem. It just took a very long period of time for us to solve as a as a community, as an industry. 
but like that just it's it's almost like it's nonsensical to think about the way that it is now it's like that doesn't make a, the least bit of sense like you just stand back and look at it. like does it make sense for DeFi to be chain agnostic absolutely <laughs> like obviously yeah one thing one thing on the um the ux of of savers as well that's pretty crazy is just like the memoless the ability to do memoless deposits and withdraws it's it, it's pretty novel like the fact that you can literally just send bitcoin to an address and you just automatically start earning more bitcoin on that is pretty fucking revolutionary and the fact that you can withdraw by just sending like another amount we'll do we'll do story time real quick i remember we were sitting around it was the nine realms team chad um, I think Eric Voorhees was there and we were all talking about this and we were saying, okay, like we need to, we need to do this in a way that um, it, we just send to an address in both directions. Right. So like being able to just send to an address, like, yeah, we can figure that out. Like we know the address that it came from. We can just swap to the synth on the back end and lock it in the vault. But like, how do we do it with a withdraw? Um, and the requirement was that like, this can't be, something that like you know you have to be able to like sign a memo with um because there's a lot of wallets that don't support memos like um you know we 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 wanted to build a product where you could literally just send bitcoin to an address and like the system would know whether you're like would know what your intent is whether you're trying to deposit or withdraw so we were all sitting around and we just kind of came up with this design for memo lists and i think that that's one of like the the innovations that um is going to prove to like unlock the most potential because you literally don't have to know anything about how Thorchain works. Um, you don't have to craft a memo. You literally just like send out, like fire off a query, you get back an address, you send your Bitcoin to it, and now you're saving on your Bitcoin. And from a UX perspective, I can't think of anything simpler than that. I mean, like, like how much easier can it get? It's so yeah, simple that Redditors will think it's a scam. <laughs> I remember we were talking about that, and we were we were in Colorado at the time, and uh, we floated the idea of using hierarchical um, deterministic wallets to accomplish this task, and so having like one wallet that's like the inbound and one wallet that's like the outbound. Like so, like you wanted to deposit, you put this this address, and you wanted to withdraw, you put it in that address. And then you use the number of sats you use to, to define how much of like basis points you want to withdraw if you want to withdraw but then we just came with that much simple, simpler approach i don't know you know who did i can't remember to be honest but we came with that simple approach the sim, much simpler approach of like oh if it's under this x amount of sats then it's withdraw if it's over that then it's deposit and then it becomes so much clean and simple it didn't require much development time i mean iridanix is in the audience he's the one that actually put the effort into write that write up this feature and relatively speaking it was a pretty simple feature to add it was like you know a couple hundred lines of code not, nothing too nothing too crazy or restructuring much of anything it just kind of works you know and it just you're right this thing's going to prove itself to be very useful especially when you're trying to pull you know long-term bitcoin from like people's ledgers which just doesn't have like direct you know uh Thorchain support for ledger quite yet hopefully we get there at some time, some point though but like to do that is like incredible i think it's gonna be humongous for the for the project pluto i have yeah. a quick question for you on on that um so in your example you showed how to do it memo list but also how to do it with with a ui building a memo for you right so 
are, are there kind of like certain instances where it makes sense to do it one way or another or like what are kind of like the key uh like are there are there are there some differences there i mean i think that like memo lists is uh sorry with memos is just a little bit more programmatically straightforward like you send the smallest possible dust amount that you can um and you send a memo and you you're stating exactly what your intent is with the memo list there's like you have to send a specific amount to tell it how much basis points to withdraw and that that amount changes depending on like which chain so like ETH, the dust amount is different from BTC. It's different from BNB. So I just think from like a like if you like if your wallet supports signing out UTXOs, you might as well just use uh, use a memo. It ju- it just makes it a lot more straightforward. Like you know to to think about. Like if I'm just thinking like if I'm a developer building this, but like with the new quote deposit endpoint and the quote withdraw endpoint, it'll tell you exactly like if you tell it okay I want to like withdraw. 100% of uh, my position on my BTC position and here's my address, it'll be like, cool, send this this amount to this address and you don't even need to include a memo. So we made it really easy for you to do it either way. Like we, we send you back the memo, but we also send you back the dust amount that you can send to withdraw that exact amount. Um, so from that perspective, it's just like, it, it just the feature could not be any easier to interact with. Um, and that was really like an important, um, consider- design consideration of like the entire API, um, and just like how you, how you interact with it. And yeah, to, to Chad's point, like there, there, it's just been through so many iterations just on like, just on like those little minute details about like, how do you interact with the product? But like, I think we really, we really settled on something that's, that's just the really like the simplest possible thing. I wanted to talk real quick about, um just like like what the expectations should be for UIs around launch. So I think that like um, Chad T to what you were saying before, um, like what the ThorSwap product is going to have. I think, I think that's a great MVP of the savers is like um, basically just like here are all the vaults um, that you can deposit into here. Like basically we have an endpoint that will show like if that is, um, if that vault is already maxed out. Um, so it is possible that like a user can go to deposit to a vault and like won't be able to. Um, and then basically um, from there, like they, they should go and just like punch in a, um, an amount and in for a token. And so say like they're going to deposit one BTC. So we can show you exactly how much like uh, entry fees that you're being assessed when you enter that vault. That's basically the slippage that you pay to enter the vault. And then um, when you go to like show a user their positions or like what their redeemable amount, that that quote, that withdraw endpoint will tell you exactly how much that you can redeem at this exact point in time. Um, and that takes into account the exit fees as well as the outbound fees. Um, and so it's really nice. Like users will be able to see, oh, I'll, you know, I can withdraw my, um, you know, 1.2 Bitcoin right now and they'll get back exactly 1.2 Bitcoin. So it, it eliminates a lot of the guesswork. Um, and so that was like a, you know, sort of like 11th hour optimization that we made. Um, and then, but just on the on the subject of like, yield rates it's still something that um we're trying to determine the best methodology to um like to basically instruct uis on like what rates to show to end users 
Um, I think that there's going to be a number of ways to do this. Um, you know, we can go and we can take the oldest saving saver and look at their yield and then extrapolate that out over, you know, um, you know, a year and give that, give like a, a rough APR. Um, we can also do like back testing where someone can say, you know, when, when that person goes to make that one BTC deposit, we could do like a little back test and tell them like, Hey, if you had entered the, this pool with this amount, like if you had deposited one BTC 90 days ago, here's how much you would have made and here's what your yield would have been. And I think back testing is a little bit more of a, um, it's a little bit more of a transparent and a little bit more of an honest way of doing it than saying like, here's the rate somebody else who got in earlier than you was. Um, because the more people that are in the pool, like the, the more the rates are going to go down. So like showing you someone else's APR as like what you would get is not necessarily like, um, that's not necessarily true. Um, so there's just like, there's a lot of trade-offs between like, um, you know, basically, um, having like the most up-to-date information accurate and also um, the most user-friendly way of presenting that information. So for right now, we, we're just we're, we're recommending that UIs don't publish any rates for any of the pools because we think that we need at least like 30 to 60 days of, of data um, from the real world to actually like look at the different rates and look at the different calculations and figure out what's going to be the best um, best way. So um, yeah, I noted, I noted in, in, in the screenshot that you had posted there above, like the, um, earn APR percent coming soon. Like I would just, I would just say like, you know, basically like that needs to be pushed out for like at least a month until there's enough data to, to make the accurate calculations and to compare the different methodologies against each other. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. I'll definitely, I'll definitely bring that up with door swap. Yeah. It's always it's always a tricky thing to like talk about what people can expect for yield because it, it is it does fluctuate and you don't you don't want to be give people false impressions like you want to be honest and clear and, and as transparent and real with people as possible but at the same time you really can't tell them what the what the yield is going to be in the future because you can only based upon what happened in the past which is not obviously not always directly correlational so it's it's a, it's a tough thing to, to deal with but you got at some level you got to come up with some number and give it to people <laughs> at yeah some point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think it's fine to say like past 90 days performance, you know, and then just give them like a, an average of all the savers in the past 90 days or the oldest saver or whatever. But like, I still, I still like the idea of like when you go to deposit and you enter in like how much you're about to deposit it, it'll tell you like how much you would have made if you had made that deposit 90 days ago. Cause we could like, we could take the, um, the pool depths 90 days ago and then add what you say you're depositing now add that in 90 as of 90 days ago and then look at the pool depths now and then basically get a uh, a delta between the two and i think i i I think that's like going to be really like the the most accurate way is like to tell people like basically based on historical performance rather than like try to make an some extrapolation into the future I just think that extrapolating into the future is going to set people up for failure and it's not going to set the right expectations around what the true yields are going to be. Yeah, agree with that. Because, I mean, uh, like we talked about this last week too, uh, that all, all yields inherit, like they're always backwards looking, but people look at them as forward looking, right? And uh, that, that's a good way to communicate that. It's a good way to communicate the same information just in a different way that frames it 
uh, in more accurately. So if someone's thinking about it as a, a, a backward-looking metric rather than a forward-looking metric, because obviously there's no way to predict what will happen in, uh, you know, over the next year, especially. So good call what, we, what we could do is actually is that each time the network uh, puts like, you know, yield into the Bitcoin savers, for example, it emits a uh, actually a donation event uh, on, the, on the chain itself. And, and Midgard already supports that event type, which is why we're using it. Um, it didn't require extra work or, you know, whatever. And, and it works. It's, in some sense, it is a donation into the group anyway. So anyways, like you can take that number and you can sum it up per day. Like what's the total number of like, you know, of synthetic um, Bitcoin was put into the pool from a, from a yield perspective. And then you can look at that number on, uh, we can actually have a chart that just shows that number day to day, right? To show what the actual income of the actual pool is. And then you can have another number that is like, well, relative to the, the, the how much of this is being split per BDC, like, for one BDC, how much yield is that of this yield for the day? If you have one BDC in the network, like what are you getting, blah, 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 or something, something like this. And so you can kind of create a, a, a long-term graph that will show the income of that pool. And you can even see just like, is it is it making more money because the yield has increased or is it making more money because people have left, right? And there's less people kind of collecting the yield and therefore the, the yield increases for those individuals. And so like, like that would kind of give you that kind of sense of like, what is the actual yield generating? And then how much, how, how many people that being spread across of what value like you could do that totally with, with, with Midgard by itself without making any more changes to the core protocol. Uh, we are, we are, we have been on stage for almost an hour and a half here. So let's let, um, if there's anyone that has questions or whatever, let's let them come up. Uh, there's someone that's been waiting for a while and if anyone else has anything, uh, you know, hit the request button to, to come up. So we have, uh, Naveen Kumar. Hey. Are you there? Yeah. Unmute yourself. You there, man? Or uh, guess not. Well, whenever he comes back, he's willing to. <laughs> okay. to Is anybody else in the audience who wants to uh, come up and ask a question or bring a topic? Or no one else has requested. Okay. Come on, no one else has questions about savers. It's really that simple. There's just Here we no... okay coefficient. And crypto XC uh, from Thor Wallet, Anthony. All right, there we go. We got get some of the crowd up here. All right, yeah. So K coefficient. Hey. hey, what's up, guys? Yo, yo. Are we? Are we? The savers? Is this just going to be uh, BTC right now, or are we doing all layer one coins? It's every. It's every asset on Thorchain, actually. Oh, really? No, it's not. It's, it's not. No, it's only it's, gas assets. Yeah. Only a coin. No token. Yeah, yeah. The the primary asset per, per chain. No. No, I don't think so. Ah, look at uh look at the handler logic for the add liquidity and there's a function that says is gas asset. Oh, interesting. I thought we were I thought POL was only for gas assets, but um that savers was gonna be live for every for every token that basically any any synth could be deposited into a vault. That's not no, the case. 
I think uh, I think that might be problematic for uh, like lower, uh, lower smaller pools. It creates the opportunity for manipulation and and, and it could be some security related issues there. I mean, we we have there, we have there are L ones that we have for bigger pools. We have L one pools that are smaller than other other tokens on other on their other chains. I don't, yeah, I don't but I think, follow that logic. I what I would like to see happen in the long term is just to get rid of all the other tokens because they're just they're just taking up space in the security, and we don't really need them anyway. We have, now that we have depth aggregation, we don't even need them at all. Well, what about stables? Because I think stables is what people really care about anyways in terms of single sided yield for for tokens and and those would be staying right yeah uh stables are, are would be staying um if we go down the, the the lending route then we would need stables if we don't go down the lending route then we don't necessarily need stables well we could still have them to have them um but then um i'd be hesitant about like getting the pol involved with some stables just because of like you know, the risk to the to the protocol it would take on from from holding those kind of assets. Yeah, absolutely right. Yep. Sorry, real quick before before we move on though, just part of that question, um, isn't it though that when POL kicks in, that's going to first be just BTC, if if I recall. Yeah, POL is is is, on, is like a per pool enabled thing. Right. Uh, there are some people for me, I, I'd rather just have it just be any gas asset. And I'm fine with that personally. But there were some people within nine realms who wanted to see it kind of uh, wanted to pick which which pools should earn POL, which pools should not. Which, to me, that becomes a governance issue problem. But like to, to be clear, we didn't want to be the ones to choose, but we wanted to have node operators vote on that. But our recommendation would have been for that to just be BTC to start with. And then maybe we can roll out, you know, Ethereum in a couple months, and then, you know, all, all the rest of them later. But I, I think it's conser- it's conservative to take the approach with, uh, with BTC, and and you know, we don't even have to like roll that out until we actually hit those those caps, which we'll see how quickly that happens. But we should be ready to start the the vote for for POL um, as soon as like we see some of those caps being hit. Yeah, we may not even hit those with the POL kind of cap just because the pool itself can't take you know infinite liquidity. But there's also that chance that like maybe somebody who's currently a dual-sided LP who likes to be a saver instead, and so they withdraw their capital as a dual-sided and they re-enter as a single-sider. You know, that that could happen. I don't know. Maybe people be won't want to do that. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Yeah, that's that, that's what I was wondering because I like I have a large rune be uh binance chain lp position and i was curious to look at possibly single-sided staking the bnb but and then and then uh running a node with my other rune on the other side of it but, um i was just thinking about that something like that yeah, I mean, you could do that. Like that would actually be great for the network in a sense because you're 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 taking out from the uh, the room from the pool, which is a good thing in this context, and you're putting it onto the bond side, which is even better, right. better a better allocation of room in a sense because we need more room on the bond side anyway. So you could totally do that if you wanted to. It's up to up to you. But you but we could do that potentially like 
this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Not Hopefully the next be, not just BTC for savers. Yeah, it's it's gonna be any any gas asset, which would it's just basically the primary asset per chain. So it's Adam, AVAX, uh you know, EDC, Litecoin, Doge, uh Bitcoin Cash, those things. Yeah, Doge Doge I think would be a big one. Could be a potentially big one in the future. But after we hit the synth caps, then all of the node operators will need to vote on POL for each pool, correct? Um, POL is a global thing. It's not on a per. Oh, sorry. We enable or disable it on a global, on an individual level. But the parameters of how POL works is more global. But before we enable POL, we want to get to a at least fifty percent of synth utilization via the the pool depth. And the reason why that is is because if you started it before that point, you would create a net. Whenever somebody entered on savers, like from BDC or from BNB or whatever, it would yeah. create a net sell pressure on the rune asset because you'd be putting in one dollar BNB and you'd create like a dollar fifty of sell pressure on the rune asset. Versus when it's fifty fifty, it's like a dollar dollar in and a dollar of buy pressure and a dollar of sell pressure. It's like a net neutral thing, which is probably better. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I just I'm trying to visualize how. What the future looks like for savers, for 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 retail users, and and when you do start hitting those caps, and when protocol and liquidity comes in, like you know what what's it going to take to get? If people are waiting with, you know, a hundred Bitcoin to put into savers, do we need to wait for the node operators to vote on? Deploying that protocol, protocol right. liquidity. Correct. That's going to require a vote from the from the node operator to, to do that at some point. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think and that's all part part of the Thorchain strategy of launching these these features, where it starts off small and then ramps up slowly over time to make sure that you know there, there's no big errors with the feature or you know that, that things work as intended. Uh, you know, by it, starting off with with pol, um, you know it. It's it's always better to start smaller than it is to you know start bringing in hundred hundred BTC slugs right away. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. I, I, yeah, I get that. I just I'm just, I'm just it might be useful to have like a um, a similar like flowchart or something visual for users in the future, so there's not any confusion when you do hit, start running up on those those self imposed caps. Uh, so people aren't freaking out. Great. Well, once POL kicks in, won't it be like... Once POL does kick in, won't the caps be like a lot less relevant? I mean, there's still the the overall caps, right? But the the like factoring just in just like the synth part, it's like essentially kind of capless at that stage, assuming there's no node bond and all that. This the synth cap would be like I'm gonna speak in hypotheticals right now, but like the synth cap itself would be like fifty five percent, and the POL target would be like fifty percent. Let's just say, right? And so when the synths, you know, get up to fifty five percent or beyond fifty, more accurately, the POL starts deploying rune to the pools, which pushes the synth 
you know, utilization back down to 50 or 49 or, or whatever. And so like, effectively you like, you have no synth cap uh, in any real, you know, sense. And like the, the network just kind of becomes the counterbalance to make sure everything is like on the level, whatever. Well, uh, and, until you hit the max rune deposit on POL. Right. Yeah. There's, there's that cap that we have purposely put in there just to just have a soft launch of that feature. And then also you have the, the, the cap on how much liquidity the pools themselves can have, right? So it's going to have some, at that, and then the pools are 100% full. And like basically almost all of the yield is going to the nodes, almost none of the yields go into the pools. Uh, kind of the, the, the incentive pendulum does it, it swings in the direction it should. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be it's 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 as Kyle said, it's going to be a process to to scale up the feature over the, over the next you know few months or so. And all of the POL stuff has been coded in, right? Yes, it's already live. Okay, awesome. Just it's just it's just disabled right now. At some point, we can enable it when we feel like we need to. But for right now, we're just going to launch savers, and we and it's very well possible that we won't even need POL because we won't even get to that level of synth cap. That we we might hit the pool cap first before we hit the synth cap. Yes, yeah, right. Possible. Uh, we also brought up uh, Crypto XZ from Thor Wallet. Hey, hi guys! Happy hey. to be here. I'm excited to hear about Savers. Uh, we have been working about this as well. Uh, a couple of things that come to my mind and thanks for the clarification from nine realms i think the new endpoint that is going to come available is going to be super useful um, not only for us but i think for any other wallet that's trying to um, integrate so that's going to be very very good for adoption um, the question i had was related to this is uh, somehow going to affect the calculation of the yield on the pools so right now you were saying that um, the yield for the savers is something that needs a bit of extra time so that uh, historical data is accumulated. But is it in the planning as well to do some um, endpoint for the pools as well so that this, this calculation um, or the separation between the APR that goes to savers and the APR that goes to pools, is that something that is in the plan as well? Um. You're saying like the same as we have events that say how much yield was made in the savers, that we want similar events for how much yield was made in the pools, that you're saying? Yeah, so right now there's been a bit of, um, you know, freedom on the calculation and, you know, some people decide to take seven days, 30 days. And like now we, I think we're getting into a consensus of uh, using um, increase in, in, in Luvi and so on. But now with the uh, addition of the APR coming for or going to, to savers, this is going to be some calculation that uh, at the beginning will be taken over by, by the interfaces. So what, what, is the, what is the yield that goes to, to a pool? So if you are in BTC Arun, what is the APR there versus what's the APR as a single yield? So I think um, it will also be very helpful in terms of adoption if this is simplified, right? Like right now uh, with this new endpoint, people can just see um, for savers, um, not now, but eventually, right? What what are they going to get? So I think that would be also an interesting thing if if that's enabled for um, for later once that separation happens and uh, savers goes live. Yeah, I think that's possible. I don't think it's particularly hard even. The match should be pretty straightforward and simple, I think. 
when you're when you're trying to compare uh, dual sided versus single sided in a sense in their yield. Awesome. And the dual cool, man. Should, what's fascinating is that the dual sided, how much the dual sided is getting versus the single sided is getting is like relational to the to the depth of each, right? So if the dual side is 90% and the savers is 10%, then the dual side of income is not too not too different than what it is today. Like it's a little bit different, but not too different by a little bit more than we're making today, but you know, not that much. But if it was inversed and was 90% savers and 10% dual sided, which we would never see that because the centralization would be extremely high, but just speaking just hypothetically here, uh, then the, the yield for dual side would be like astronomically high because they're getting half the yield of 90% of the value, right? Plus their own cap or whatever they provided, which would just be like crazy high APYs for, for the dual side. Uh, so it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of uh, pans out. But basically the, the, the more savers we have in the network, basically the higher the yield gets for, for dual side as a, as a relationship between the two. I think one one that uh, another thing that is very interesting is like um, now anyone could actually you know just even from their own wallet just access um, to savers. So that I think is going to create uh, some new interface that we have not expected uh, so far, which is you know just send a transaction and um, that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I actually hope that somebody builds a website that's just like single purpose savers. And you don't even necessarily have to brand it ThorChain or whatever, just call it whatever it is. And like, there's no wallet integrations. You don't have to like plug in your wallet. It just. So I got, I got, I got rugged there. I got a phone call. Um, so we'll build this website where you can just like put in like, oh, I want to deploy, you know, X amount of Bitcoin or withdraw X amount of Bitcoin or something like this. And it just, it just tells you like a gives you either shows you like a QR code where you can just like scan on your phone and like spammers are after Chad. But yeah, yeah. I that, that's not that's something we talked about a little bit. Just like the simple UX of just showing the QR code and then you just uh, any wallet can basically just do a send with a QR code and interact with savers. So that is something we're definitely looking forward to towards. And uh, also everything that's coming out of Thor Wallet, uh, you know, uh, Thor Wallet development has been going great. It seems like from from this end, and uh, hopefully people are, are happy with, uh, with with the way that that's going. Because uh, now I, I've been using it personally. I you know I I, I like Thor Wallet, so it great mobile interface, and you guys have been doing a great job. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, we're excited for everything that's coming up recently. Um, I think um, the situation, the environment, and like how housing has been managed is just aligning perfectly. And I think now the the message is for for us to to share. Um, being uh, custodial, doing single sided, like all of these things are like I always see it as an infrastructure play first, because. Like we might want to have some stuff done, but if there's not the infrastructure there, I, I think that's why Ethereum was at the beginning taking so much of, of the DFE market share because they, they built the infrastructure first. And now I think this um, cross-chain infrastructure that we're building as chain community is going to enable not only for Bitcoin, but like many other assets, right? We're completely off um, DFE. 
So you can now start imagining some infrastructure for assets like Dogecoin or things like that, that that were not possible before. So I think that's pretty exciting. And it's also pretty exciting that um, that could be transferred to a mobile uh, device. So looking forward to, to the things that are coming now. 100%. Well, let's just uh, wrap up with these last few questions. So, um, Anthony, hey. G'day, g'day. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Yep. I've got a question about Thor Savers. Um, so, correct me if I'm wrong. If you're an LP in an LP position at the moment and you go to withdraw a, a decent amount, there is some kind of delay due to security reasons. With the Thor Savers, will there be that same type of delay? Yes. Okay, cool. That's all I had. Cool. And uh, KJ? Hey, guys. How's it going? I just had a quick question. Um, Don't want to take up too much time. It's not really too technical. And I apologize that these have already, you guys have already gone over this. Pardon? Sorry, Coefficient, can you uh, mute, mute? for us he's me uh, go ahead KJ. okay cool yeah so yeah great to see all the developments uh really exciting stuff so just two two pretty simple questions um is this is this an intermediate intermediary step on the way to kind of earning yield natively on rune as well so that's the first question uh and then the second question is could you guys shed a little bit more clarity on how the with Thor savers, with the how the withdrawals would work. So let's say I understand that the idea is to do this for the long term, but just given the obviously economic environment and crypto and stuff right now, people are probably a little bit on edge. So just knowing how that would work, a little bit more clarity would be great. Just like if I wanted to take, um, let's say, put like one BTC in the pool, and then three months later I decide I want to take it out. Like, what's the penalties for that? Or the payments do they are they allowed to be taken out penalty free and leave the BTC in or just a little bit more clarity would be great. Yeah. Uh, so the first question about like pathway to rune on savers. Um, so as of now, there's there's not really an intention to to add rune as as an option for savers purposes. And the reason why that is is because it's like a little bit like um, picking yourself up by your own belt in a sense. Like it's very it becomes very dangerous. Uh, when protocols become like rely on their own asset for everything. Like, so like mango markets was an example of that, where they use their own asset as collateral, which became problematic for obvious reasons. Same thing with like FTX, they built their own token. They lent out other people's tokens, like, the other people's like Bitcoin and whatever. And they thought, Oh, we'll just back it with FTT and, and it's fine. It's like, well, no, you don't have the liquidity to support such a thing, which was kind of shown to be the problem, uh, you know, a few days ago. And so in addition to that, like we, we want people, we want to draw in new capital into the environment, right? We want to take ex- exogenous capital, whether that be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or AVEX, whatnot. And we want them to basically sell their, their asset, the Bitcoin, and to acquire uh, Rune, right? Which effect is what is, in some sense, that's exactly what's happening with savers. So that's why it creates uh, a, a, a buy pressure on the Rune asset whenever somebody deploys savers um it's it ha- the opposite happens when you when you use like rune as your savers like asset so if somebody were to add rune as their thing uh that would create sell pressure on the rune asset which is also something we don't really want to to create and so it's it's not about so much like 
room being the center of anything. It's more of like the, it's there because it has to be. The center really, in some sense, is like is Bitcoin and Ethereum and AVAX and Atom and like all these other assets and providing them value, which inherently by providing them value causes their capital to be effectively leave the Bitcoin ecosystem and the value being transferred into the Rune ecosystem, which is obviously something we want to see as, as Rune holders. So I don't think there's much of a tension to use Rune as, as collateral or as for savers or whatnot. Uh, we want all that, that, that value of Rune to be staying either in the pools as a dual-sided liquidity, because um, then you're providing uh, a value in that sense, or even better, is throwing into a node and, and providing more capital for the security side of the system. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. What was the second question you were asking? I forget what it was. Oh, the second question was just a little bit of clarity on how uh, if you deposit, let's say, one BTC in the pool, uh, how does it work if you decide in three months to take it out? Is there a penalty? Is there a lockup period? And if I decide to keep it in there, can I keep on taking out the yield regularly and leaving yes. everything super yes. easily? Just a little more yeah. clarity on that. Sure, of course. Uh, there's no uh, penalty in a sense, and there's no minimum, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to keep it in the system for like a minimum of X days or something like this. There are swap fees as you remove. So if you decide to remove like one BDC, for example, you're going to get back, you know, 0.9 something, 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 something. So there are always going to be swap fees when you enter and when you exit. But outside of that, it's, it's pretty much, you know, you can do whatever you want. And so if you want to just like throw one BDC in there and like, every month go in and take out whatever yield it was, like say you earned 0.01 BDC in a month or whatever the, the value actually is, you can choose to withdraw that 0.01 minus the swap fees of that 0.01, which will probably be very, very, very small, and then get your you know, whatever the remainder that is while your one BDC initial deposit just kind of continues in there keeping a yield. A, a good way to think about it is it's like a double swap entering or exiting. It, so it's just the, the swap of like a rune to BTC uh, swap, just just twice the, the slippage of that. So, uh, you know, a small swap will obviously be really low on, on slip uh, or a, sw- a, a small withdrawal or deposit will be really low on slip. So, you know, entering uh, entering really slowly will make you pay less fees also exiting more slowly you pay uh, less fees having to enter or exit so it, it's just it's literally just a double swap entering or exiting it's just uh you know synth burning and then swapping to or from asset which will probably also stop somebody from deploying 100 bdc into the pool in one go like that would just be the swap fees and that would be probably very large uh and so the same thing on pulling out too you're not going to pull out 100 bdc in a single transaction that would be you know, very, very costly in terms of fees. That, that kind of slip-based model kind of protects the network from, from any harsh or sudden movements in a sense. Also just want to highlight how awesome of a user experience this creates. Back to like what Pluto was saying, just about making everything as like simple and like why would you not use it? How can just getting it integrated everywhere? Like this creates so much less to explain to the user, right? Like there's no weird lockup. There's no weird penalty. There's no... Uh, there's just like not much you need to know about the whole thing, right? It's just like deposit, earn, withdraw, whatever. I mean, the only thing is that there's entry and exit fees. And other than that, it's like you can hardly think of, I mean, of course there's protocol risk and people need to understand that. But in terms of just uh, the product itself, it's it's so dead simple. You just 
you just put in BTC or whatever gas asset and you earn in that asset and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's pretty that great. Was, that was literally one of the main goals of the feature was to keep it as cognitively simple as possible. Because we, we made that choice early on. We thought about, oh, we can do this, we can do that, we can do, you know, we thought of like a different, bunch of different ideas. But like in the end, we're like, we'll just, the goal here is to keep it as cognitively simple to understand and to implement and to utilize and not have to worry about uh if this happens and that happens and what if these scenarios, this, like just keep it so simple, so clean, the cleaner, the better. That's kind of how we pushed it. Cool guys. That was a great space today. We, we, had, we had an hour with Luigi and then we had an hour just talking about Thor savings on the back end of it. So yeah, I think that that was pretty good. We can, uh, we can wrap up any final words from anybody. Well, I mean, there's the one elephant in the room, maybe just to wrap up with some some uh, philosophical stuff. I would love to hear uh, uh, maybe maybe get a Chad B rant out of this. But, you know, like this timing, everything going on is exactly why Thorchain exists. Right. So I just feel the timing is so right for people to really be onboarded. And, you know, whether that's all of us here in this community, just like doing helping people onboard, helping spread the word. Um, obviously there's so much happening by the core team, nine realms, ThorSwap, all the other interface projects in the ecosystem to get deeper integrations and really make ThorChain the backend. But like now is the time for a flood of users to, to find ThorChain. And this thing is here and it, it already exists and it's magic. <laughs> and I just think it's, I just think it's time. So let's go get it. Yeah. Isn't it cra- crazy how it's like, to the outside world, they see what's happening here and they're like, oh, look at crypto. Crypto's terrible. Everybody lost their money, blah, blah, blah. Right? From the outside looking in, they don't understand the nuance here. And for us, we're just like, yeah, look at look at CeFi. It's a complete clusterfuck of a situation. This is the reason why we got into the space to begin with, to get away from this like fucking horse shit and black box finance and all this fucking just terrible fucking bullshit that makes no sense at all. And this is totally like, you know, we, we, can, we can take a moment to kind of like applaud ourselves to some degree as a community just because we've been proven yet again why it's good to have a fully open, fully transparent, fully available system, no borders, no KYC, no permission, no censorship, why that's so important. And we, we just get proven like time and time again, it's over and over again. And we'll keep on kind of like taking that little fist pumping action because like we just get proven again and again that we're right about this design this idea of what we're trying to accomplish it's just there's no else, no no other way to, to cut the cut the cake let's get it chads sweet all, all right. right well i guess we're looking forward to a uh, a launch of savers next week so I'm if anybody, super looking if anybody knows who a validator is and they haven't updated their one of the last 16, get on their asses. If you know somebody who's a validator, get on their ass and say, fucking update the 99 because I want to see Sabres launch. Let's get it going. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, these spaces are recorded. This will be put up on YouTube, uh, and you can check out the conversation with Luigi from Ava Labs and also just us talking about Thor Savings and the whole archive of these things is up on RuneBase and also now being uploaded on the Nine Realms YouTube channel. So uh, appreciate you guys coming out. Also, if you haven't subscribed, if you haven't, uh, sorry, if you haven't followed uh, CryptoXZ up here and also Pluto, 
definitely follow them for you know all kinds of you, door, door chain content that you're not going to see anywhere else. Uh, you know, Crypto is with the growth officer at, at Thor Wallet and Pluto is one of the you know core devs of the protocol and uh, you know a member of the Nine Realms team. So shout outs to them. All right. Later, guys. Well, we'll see you guys Thanks, next space, week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Thank you. Bye.